0: welcome 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 everyone to sister wives with mary jane kay today i'll be giving my commentary on episode one of the netflix docuseries keep sweet pray and obey the episode opens with a quote wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the lord from ephesians 5 22 obviously you guys will know how i feel about that it makes my blood boil No woman should submit to their husband. Ideally, it's 50-50, at most 60-40. That's between you and whoever you're with. Although with me, I would insist 50-50 and that both myself and my husband compromise equally depending on what the situation is. I don't believe in relationships where both people aren't equals or where one partner manages the other, and I don't believe the husband should be the leader, and I never will. I' might be able to consider his two cents as he does the same with me and compromise where I want to, but no woman should give themselves up for a man or give their autonomy to another person under any circumstances. Women can be underestimated in certain cultures that are very patriarchal, and women house and grow and birth. Children and they give life. A man just provides a sperm donation as far as bringing about life. So without the woman, there would be no one around and nothing. All those patriarchal men came from a woman, and I've always felt women should be more appreciated and respected in society. It doesn't make sense to me why men are so revered in some cultures. I think men know how powerful and sacred and intelligent most women are, so they fear it and they want to create systems to feel like they're in control. I'm generalizing, of course, but now isn't the place for a digression, but I have many thoughts on this. There's a badass woman on a motorcycle recounting her story of how she was forced to marry her cousin at 14. First of all, incest is disgusting. Not only are you putting your child at a high risk to have some type of disability, but also that child's self-worth when they discover they are a product of incest will forever be affected by that if morally they cannot stomach that their parents are related. So whether they are physically and mentally fine or not, being a product of incest is a mindfuck for sure on the child. And it's very selfish and cruel and immoral of the parents, in my opinion. People should want the best for their kids or future kids. To decide to mate with a close relative to produce children is starting that innocent child's life with a lot of suffering and self worth issues if that child is sickened by who their parents are. And of course, no one can choose their parents, but that's, you know, at minimum something people should consider, of course. It's a big deal, and I don't find it moral, ethical, fair, or appropriate in any way. Also, to force a 14-year-old to marry is disgusting and wrong, and to also force them to be engaged in incest is absolutely sickening. I feel for the 14-year-old child and also the children of these incestuous couples and what they have to cope with. Imagine the feeling of knowing your parents are related, like first cousins, for example, with the same last name it's unthinkable and disturbing and cruel and it happens and for people forced into that wickedness unwillingly as a minor or the kids that come of that who have to struggle with where they came from and who their parents are my heart goes out imagine that suffering this 14 year old at the time begged warren jeffs not to make her get married and he asked if she believed she knew better than the prophet he said if she was questioning him She was questioning God. This is so evil, forcing minors to marry against their will, manipulating them with something as pure as their love of God or fear of God in some cases, when they are vulnerable and impressionable as minors, and forcing the evil of incest upon them. I feel sick. Warren Jeffs is the leader of the FLDS cult, an offshoot of the Mormon church that supports polygamy. The more wives and children you have, the higher in heaven you will be one woman explains they were so scared that they would be condemned to hell if they did anything different so in the end you feel you have to submit yourself another woman explains that because it was for their salvation they did whatever it took even if it was wrong there is a gentleman who left the flds who says he saw photo of warren jeff's kissing a child a young girl and that's when he said He was done and they show, I'm trigger warning if you're going to watch this, they show the pictures and it's I'm so glad I didn't have breakfast this morning because I would puke. This is so vile. The badass woman on the motorcycle explains to go against the church, a multi-million dollar organization, you're going against a lifetime of conditioning and fear. One woman speaking on her experience says the other congregants would ask her why she was challenging the prophet. Or why wasn't she being obedient? We have to remember too here that these people in these FLDS communities and compounds are brainwashed from birth and indoctrinated. They all have groupthink. They're all drinking the Kool-Aid. And all they see around them is people like sheep dressing the same, thinking the same, drinking the Kool-Aid, having this effery reinforced 24-7 in an echo chamber in their closed community community. Being told the outside world is absolutely evil. It sounds insane to you or I, but being born into something when it's all you know and everyone around you parrots the same things, it's hard to recognize your feelings, your identity, your conscience, and to break free. I commend these women and I can't imagine the struggles and the suffering that they endured and the men that are victims of this as well. Not only did they leave all they ever knew, not only were they brainwashed and abused in every way imaginable, not only was the love of God something meant to be pure, used as justification for evil and manipulation, but they had to learn the reality of the world, of life, of everything in the outside world. And they had to come to terms with everything they thought they knew being wrong and a lie. And then they had to come to terms with what their truth is and how they perceive themselves amidst. What happened to them, their identities, they have to learn, they have to learn the world. And that's something that takes strength and resilience and suffering to overcome. And all of these people are here telling their stories. And I admire that tremendously, the bravery and the courage. The man who left polygamy explains that you don't know any better until you get away from it and getting away from it is the hard part. The woman who left long ago says eventually you come around and see the light and go, what the fuck? There is home video of the Wall family 4th of July in Salt Lake City in 1991. There are women putting up decorations and prairie outfits. A younger Rebecca Wall is in the video. She says even though they grew up in the US, She knew she was different. The way they dress was different and in her family and in her culture, she was taught they were the one and only true people of God on the whole face of the earth. They believed in polygamy. They lived plural marriage. Elisa Wall says for the people who remember life prior to Warren Jeffs, they remember really good times and people who cared about each other, who were working together to live the FLDS way and to continue to grow the community. Elisa was a part of the younger set of kids. She was her mom's 11th child, but the 19th child of the larger whole family. Her dad had two wives. Her mom, Sharon, was her father, Lloyd's second wife. Myrna was her dad's first wife. Myrna says Lloyd was her high school sweetheart. She asks, how could she share him with anybody else? Then she got her mind in tune with accepting another woman in the family lloyd wall was a convert to the faith he was trying to find a way to create a life for himself that he couldn't find in the mainstream mormon church and it's very unusual to convert to the flds lloyd says you have to make a commitment back when lloyd converted it wasn't even called the flds myrna says when they joined it was just called fundamentalists of course flds is an abbreviation of fundamentalist church of jesus christ of latter-day saints Fundamentalists were forced out of the mainstream Mormon church after the Mormon church outlawed polygamy over 100 years ago. Wall's brother joined the faith, and he would tell them they were drinking skim milk and they needed to have the meat to encourage them to join. Lloyd says there are a zillion polygamist groups around, but none adhere to fundamentalism like the FLDS, and that intrigued him. The fundamentalists trace their religious justification of plural marriage On the First Prophet of Mormonism on Joseph Smith To attain the highest degree of salvation, you must live polygamy. Lloyd says, according to his interpretation of the gospel, plural marriage was what Christ was after and one day at a Sunday meeting, the prophet pulled Lloyd in and told him that Sharon, his second wife, belongs with him and it should be taken care of tonight mirna explains it was the first time lloyd ever met sharon or she ever met him and they took her home that night sharon had 14 kids and mirna had nine lloyd says they had 30 good years together for him mirna says they were rocky years and lloyd admits with two women in one house they were rocky sharon wall and her kids lived downstairs her kids were the downstairs kids Remember on Sister Wives when Christine lived in the basement and in later seasons she revealed that she felt like a basement wife or the wife shut away in the basement lowest in the pecking order? The Browns try to always maintain that they are so different from the FLDS culty polygamists. We are not them, qualifying it incessantly. But Cody courted a minor and Christine felt like a basement wife. And Cody is incredibly dictatorial and patriarchal, preferring his wives to obey and submit. Last tell-all, Cody even praised favorite wife Robin for being the obedient wife. So Cody always says, we are not them, don't paint us with that brush. But how different are the Browns really? More specifically, Cody really. I'm not really speaking on his wives and his kids. Myrna and her kids lived upstairs and were the upstairs kids. Kids in the family were well aware that plural marriage was illegal. On Rebecca's birth certificate, her dad lied. Instead of writing Lloyd Wall, he filled in the father's name as Lewis Wilson, just a made-up name. And on Rebecca's original birth certificate, Rebecca's name was listed as Rebecca Wilson. They didn't leave their property in Salt Lake City. They didn't go to movies or theme parks or any large gathering places. So there wasn't a lot of exposure to the outside world. Their activities were always within their own group. As time went on, they definitely got further and further away from society, and all of them knew that their way of life had to be hidden. Utah attorney Roger Hull says people are entitled to believe what they want, but the law currently in the U.S. is that polygamy is not a protected constitutional right. Plural marriage is illegal, but as a practical matter, he says, it is almost never prosecuted. It's hard to prove, and law enforcement and politicians aren't interested in disrupting families, he says. He thinks most people in Utah, the mainstream Mormons, people like him, see polygamy as an embarrassment. But polygamy isn't the problem. It's the secondary crimes that occur in a closed religious society controlled by men. That's when mischief takes place, and that's what happened with the FLDS, he says. Wallace Jeffs, who left the FLDS, says most of the men who live in the FLDS regard women as chattel and property. A viewer of mine, Lisa, pointed out to me that men who are indoctrinated in this are victims too, and not all of the men live this lifestyle willingly or want to live polygamy, and not all polygamists are ego-driven assholes like Cody Brown. Some men are victims, and I think it's important to note some of the men are affected and forced into this, and brainwashed as well. And Wallace is a prime example. Wallace says, when you are taught something from birth, from your mother and your father, you believe them because they are your parents, and it's your family. He was doing what he was taught to do. They were taught from birth that in order to get to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, you had to have at least three wives while you lived on Earth. And if you did not, you could not reach that highest degree of heaven. If you reach that highest degree, you will be able to create spirit children, worlds, galaxies, universes. You became God, basically. The producer asks, what happens to the women? Do they become gods too? Wallace gets a kick out of that one. He starts laughing and he responds that this is a gray area. They were never taught what a woman becomes on the other side, other than a wife. God, even the doing this to get to the highest tier of heaven, only serves the man's interests. He can create universes with three wives, but a wife still gets to just be a wife. What in the actual fuck is in it for the wives celestially? it Sounds like even in death, in the afterlife, the men benefit and the women don't. But they can only get to heaven if they participate in polygamy and serve the man on earth, with no extra rewards but a ticket to heaven. As the men get galaxies and planets and universes, I'd be negotiating with my husband. I'd better be getting my own planet too for putting up with this bullshit on Earth. I mean, I would never do it anyway, but if I, God forbid, was stuck with this, which I would never be with my personality and attitude uh, and temperament, I would be demanding my own planet. <laughs> Everything is serving the man even in the afterlife. Men who are very afraid of women's power came up with this shit like this out of fearing women who outshine many men intuitively, intellectually, emotionally, and women's bodies can do what a man never can in housing and birthing and giving life. A man can't do anything close to what a woman can other than provide the sperm donation in that biological process of bringing forth life. Also, Regarding Cody Brown, if Janelle were to decide to pack her bags and he was left with Mary and Robin only two wives, I wonder if he would try and take a third wife on to secure his spot in the afterlife just to serve his own interests of getting the best spot in heaven. He might, it would make for great ratings, and Cody seems to love attention and money in my opinion. Rebecca Wall explains, a man's status depends on how many wives he has, and her dad Lloyd couldn't figure out why other men were getting more wives and he was not so her dad felt jilted he built a successful business he gave money to the church he gave his expertise as an engineer to the church and he was always frustrated but he also had lots of daughters that could be given to other men and it's like i'll give you some if you give me some rebecca says remember in the professor's study i covered that in the angel park community Men were trading daughters to get suitable wives to marry for themselves within the community. That's disgusting, obviously, and unimaginable that your own father would trade you like a commodity, an object to barter, to add another wife for himself to get to the best part of heaven. In some of the FLDS communities, it seems like women are a commodity to trade or an object to barter, even for their own father's benefit and I have no words for that it's sickening and it's immoral and depraved of course Rebecca says it's never spoken that way regarding I'll give you some if you give me some but she thinks that's the understanding and we see from Angel Park that it is in the FLDS there is the prophet the representation of God on earth and it's equivalent to the Catholic Pope they were told that their prophet, Rulon Jeffs, would never die, that he would be renewed to be young again, and they believed the prophet was all knowing. He knew everything they did and every thought they had. They were taught to believe the prophet knew their dreams and wishes and desires, even. He also recruited all of the arranged marriages, and it's called the placement principle. And I discussed how that works in my episode. On Professor Yankowiak's study of polygamy in the FLDS community of Angel Park. The placement principle is you don't court and choose who you will marry. Only the prophet can choose who you marry. In Angel Park, it was a council of elders who decided, but it's basically a similar thing. It was a big deal in their culture that when a girl is ready to be married, the parents would turn her into the prophet. They would go to the prophet and say, here is my daughter, do with her as you will, whatever is God's will. When Rebecca turned 19, her father brought her to Rulon Jeffs, the prophet, at the time, and it was known that there was a specific handshake Rulon would give to girls, who would later become his wife, and that day he shook Rebecca's hand and he squeezed it three times, and that meant that Rebecca was supposed to marry old man Rulon, and her dad was so excited because that would gain him more wives, it would gain him status within the community. She explains for any man in the FLDS to have their daughter marry into the Prophet's family was a massive honor, and her dad felt he was finally getting the respect that he was entitled to and that he deserved. But Rebecca felt, ill. of course. Rulon Jeffs was 85 years old when Rebecca married him at just 19. Wow, that's a 66-year age gap. So disgusting. To have to give yourself to a person who could be your great-grandfather or your grandfather so your dad can have high status and feel respected is beyond. I can't imagine how I would grapple with my value and self-worth and how much resentment I would have for God, for my father. This woman, Rebecca, is a very strong woman and I really admire and respect that so much. Imagine the resiliency to come to terms with that and the resiliency for Rebecca to be able to tell her story. Wow. It's amazing and inspirational to me as a woman. Rebecca married Rulan and her father got his third wife. Alicia Robach says ever since she was a little girl, all she wanted was to be a really good wife and to raise a whole bunch of kids like everyone else was doing. After she got out of high school, she was constantly going to her father saying she wanted to turn herself in, that she wanted to be married. So her mother and father took her to the prophet. They sat across from Rulon, and he asked if she would marry him. She was shocked, but that night they married. He was 86 years old when she married him and he had 23 wives already. After the ceremony, Rulon kissed her, and Alicia felt she was getting sucked in, and she wanted to pull away. It was a lot to take in, all at once. She was 20, and that was her first kiss. And she says a young girl dreams of fairy tales, and that the first kiss would be magical. But it wasn't. She says they didn't let them work or go to school. Their sole purpose was to be with Rulon Jeffs, to pray and to be obedient and adoring at all times. In Rulon's house on the wall, there is a picture of all of the wives in the order that he married them. At night, every woman was at Rulon's door in line and each woman would take their turn to say goodnight and to give him a kiss. Alicia says the lines were long and it was such a pain to wait to have to kiss him. Let's hope none of those women had an active cold sore. Maybe they were allowed exceptions. Alicia hated kissing a man after he kissed other women. I don't blame her. She used lots of Listerine. It was her turn to say goodnight, and he told Alicia to stay to do a little lovemaking. Alicia didn't know what it meant. She didn't know anything about that stuff at all. She didn't know how babies were born. She thought you made babies when you kissed. Rebecca says she, too, at 19, didn't know what it took to physically get pregnant. She didn't expect Rulon just to touch her at all alicia says how it worked was you would get undressed and go down to his bedroom rebecca remembers him rolling on top of her and telling her to spread her legs this is basically in my opinion the r word because the women don't know what they're doing they didn't expect it they didn't consent this is not this is basically the r word in my opinion these women were so sheltered they thought babies came from kissing And then all of a sudden, an almost 90-year-old man, God on earth to them, has them marry him. And then he has intercourse with these young ladies without them even knowing what it is, how it works, how it should be. These women didn't get the sex ed talks in school or a bird and bees talk from mommy and daddy. It must have been so scary and violating and demeaning for them. And they didn't even understand what they were experiencing or how this man, they considered God, a representative of God on earth, was doing this to them. It must have been earth shattering for them. I can't imagine surviving something like this. Rebecca felt at the time that this is everything they were taught was bad. And she wondered why a man was doing this, let alone the prophet of God doing this to her. Alicia says he fell asleep after violating her. And a few minutes later, he was hitting her with his elbow, waking her up, saying he needed to go to the bathroom. Rulon couldn't walk, so Alicia was helping him make it to the bathroom, and he didn't quite make it, and that was her first introduction to the blow dryer. They'd have to dry it and clean him up. Alicia says one time she stepped on his oxygen cord and it yanked his face, and Rulon got angry. Rebecca says she was clever, she knew he was tired, and so she would have him get in bed and rub his feet and get him to sleep, she would do everything she could to make him fall asleep, and she would pass by another night without having him touch her. It worked for a while until, unfortunately, it didn't. There is a voice clip of Rulon very creepily saying, keep sweet no matter what, that's the road to perfection. There are some polygamist little kids, little girls, singing a song about keeping sweet. This is sick. From a young age, little kids, elementary school aged kids from kindergarten age are taught to keep sweet. They sing songs about keeping sweet. And the men are conditioning the women from birth to stay with a smile, be sweet, be obedient, be subservient. So it makes it easier on the men to control them. They are groomed. From birth, and it makes me sick seeing the kids sing this Keep Sweet song. It's teaching them, don't have a voice, be quiet, don't disobey. It's teaching them not to speak, not to have a voice. It's conditioning them. I really feel sick is the best word watching this, honestly. Alicia says, Keep Sweet was Rulon saying to the people, Keep Sweet no matter what, and for heaven's sakes, Keep Sweet is what he would always say. Mirna Wall says everybody had little stickers that said keep sweet everywhere and they even had shoes that had keep sweet on the soles that Rulon wore. This is propaganda to brainwash just like they have propaganda in North Korea and posters of the Supreme Leader everywhere and state-run news and similar to agitprop in Russia. All happening in the U.S. It's the same propaganda and brainwashing techniques that dictators use brainwash, except it's coming from God's representative on earth within a closed religious community. Elisa says, keep sweet men to be in control of your emotions. You didn't display things like anger or resentment or frustration, especially towards the fathers and husbands, the men in general. Charlene Jeffs says, it was always keep sweet no matter what, and it increasingly became drilled into them. It wasn't her uncle Rulon that did it, it was Warren. Wallace Jeffs is Warren's brother, and Warren is six years older than him. Wallace had 62 siblings growing up, 32 brothers and 30 sisters. He didn't know all of his siblings because he had some sisters that had grown up and married before he even knew who they were but there were 62 siblings they were aware of. Marilyn, or Mother Marilyn as they called her, was Warren's mother. She pushed her sons to be close to their dad to make them the next leaders of the church after their father Rulon. Marilyn had a special relationship with Warren Jeffs, even though he wasn't her oldest son. Wallace says that's a whole nother story as he starts laughing. God only knows what that means. Wallace says Mother Marilyn felt that Warren was special because Warren was born eight weeks premature and Mother Marilyn always told the story of how Warren was close to death at birth and she said that previous prophets came to her and revealed to her that Warren would survive and he would be a very special person. And Rulon Wallace and Warren's father, also believed that. What a crock of shit. I'm going to tell you something personal about myself. I was born three months premature and I wasn't supposed to live. I weighed a pound and a half, if that, when I was born. There are photos of me in the palm of my mom or my dad's hand and they thought that I had passed the doctors and they gave me to my mom to say goodbye and I lived. I woke up miraculously, there's no explanation for it, and nothing was wrong with me. Now, I do have a slight limp, which is fine, but other than that, everything was perfect intellectually, physically, and otherwise, so it doesn't make you godly or special to survive something like that. It's a miracle. It makes me grateful. I feel like it's a blessing every day because I know a lot more could have gone wrong with me. I could have had many other physical impairments. I could have had hearing loss. I could have had major intellectual deficits, and I had none. My IQ was... And i'm not trying to brag but it was way above average i was in ap classes i never had any major issues other than a slight limp and a miracle happened and there is no scientific explanation for how i lived at all and how i made it with just a minor limp or how my intellect wasn't affected at all or how i don't have any other ailments it's a miracle there is no medical or scientific explanation But it doesn't mean that I'm special. It doesn't mean I'm godly at all. It doesn't mean anything other than I was very blessed and lucky to survive at all and with just a minor limp. I'm not close to God. I'm no prophet. I don't feel better than anyone. I feel grateful. I made it and that my intellect was beyond fine and that I had no issues. So this is a total crock of shit 100%. If Warren was a good soul and a good person, he would just feel grateful and feel blessed that there was nothing wrong with him. And he would live and have a spirit of grace and gratitude about him. So this is bullshit that he's special or he's a prophet. This is ridiculous hogwash. Wallace says, Warren has a holier than thou attitude. He could be funny, but he came across abrasively. Rebecca says, Warren wasn't like much. He was the awkward son of a man who had power Warren was nothing to write home about compared to his brothers. He was smart. He could do math. Rebecca says she learned to do algebra from him, in fact. She asks, did Warren foresee what he would become in the beginning? And she doesn't think so. She thinks Warren was keenly aware how to pick up on what was important to people and how to use that to manipulate them. The producer asks Wallace, Warren's brother, when he began to see signs of Warren's eventual character growing up. When Wallace was 16, Warren started getting very cozy with the sisters in the family, uncomfortably cozy with the sisters. And a lot of the brothers saw that sick behavior and they reported it to their dad, Rulan. Wallace personally reported it. This is so vile. Things like this, when someone who is supposed to protect and look out for you specifically violates you in any way, Physically or emotionally or verbally it really messes with a person's identity and self-worth big time even into adulthood Rulon responded by telling Wallace to drop it not to discuss it ever again to forget about it And he said he was handling it The Jeffs family in Salt Lake operated the Alta Academy Alta Academy trained and educated a large number of the FLDS people in the FLDS and in the religious way. Everything had a religious content to it and some things were omitted in that curriculum. Wallace says his dad didn't want the world's teachings to be given to his children. He wanted to only give them priesthood teachings. The academy needed a principal, and Wallace remembers his dad very forcefully pushing Warren into it. It was the beginning of his calling and the thing that taught Warren how to become What his dad wanted him to become as soon as Warren became the principal and he realized he had this authority he started exercising it vigorously it was I'm the boss obey me at all costs who opines no longer being the leader and wanting to be the head authority of his family who opines that Robin and her kids are the only obedient ones Who uses manipulative and abusive tactics, in my opinion, to try and get his wives and kids to obey him? Who does this remind us of? I'm the boss. Obey me at all costs. Does it not remind us a little bit of Cody last season? I am in no way accusing Cody of being as evil and sick and depraved as Warren Jeffs. I believe Cody has more of a conscience than that. He's more decent, even though I'm not a fan of his. I don't think he is intentionally evil in his intent in the way Warren Jeffs is. But note what happens when ego goes unchecked, hand in hand with a lust for power. Warren had a saying, perfect obedience is led by a hair, meaning hair is so thin and true obedience meant you could be led by a hair and you would not break it. So there could be absolutely no resistance to that obedience because any resistance at all would rip that hair. In the early days of the Alta Academy, they had books from the outside world. And Rebecca remembers loving Library Day. She loved Encyclopedia Brown books and the Nancy Drew books. They were clever and she wanted to be clever like that. They took all of those books away. Anything that had an outside influence was purged completely. They removed every book from the school libraries that wasn't specifically approved by Warren himself. Wow, I love to read. As a kid, I loved reading myself. I still love to read and escaping into some other world. It was one of my favorite things to do as a child. And these kids had a small vehicle to kind of learn of the outside world, portrayed differently than what they were conditioned to believe. They had a small escape and a, a small outlet and even that was removed from them as children. That's really sad. In my opinion, reading is how children expand their minds and it sparks creativity, and to remove that from a child is really sad and senseless. They would cut sections out of their science books for things like reproduction or the solar system. Warren created a specific curriculum for FLDS women that was taught at the Alta Academy. He even got to pick what he would indoctrinate these school-aged girls with in school, not just in church from their faith, in the school lessons as well. This tainted every part of these children's lives, and it's so cruel and unfair. Warren had a book entitled Purity in the New and Everlasting Covenant of Marriage, and all of the women were all required to study it and learn it. It taught the women to have nothing in their brain except to do the prophet's will To think of a boy or to like a boy would cloud that channel, Alicia says. The producer asks her if she ever had a crush on a boy. She did. She says she is human and even when she married Rulan, she had a crush on a boy that Rulan never caught. She says she guesses the channel was clogged or something and she starts laughing. I'm so glad that she's able to have a sense of humor about this. Sometimes laughter is really the best healing medicine. On August 6, 1998, in the afternoon, Rulan was speaking on the sofa and everyone was listening on and he slumped over like he fell asleep and one of his wives shook him awake and he came to and asked where he was. He was really disoriented and he had a massive stroke. They got him to the hospital and he was weak and limp. He could hardly walk or keep his balance. He was very unsteady, and he could not remember any of his wives' names he called Alicia Snicklefritz. After Rulon's stroke, things really took a turn, and Warren started taking over. He removed everybody out of Rulon's life after the stroke. He said Uncle Rulon needed to heal. From the time Rulon had a stroke, Warren never left his side. Warren controlled everything Rulon did, who Rulon saw, He controlled Rulon's appointments. He controlled everything. Warren acted like it was Uncle Rulon telling him what to say, and it wasn't. Warren's teachings got scary. The meetings, the church meetings, were all about fire and damnation and Joseph Smith's dream of blood running down the gutters of the Salt Lake streets, and this was pounded into their brains. Warren was a great speaker. He knew how to tell them they would all be destroyed. Very vividly. Warren had many revelations that the end of the world was coming. And they had prepared for that for hundreds of years. Because it was always, time is short. It's part of the Mormon narrative and theology, Alyssa says. Warren ominously says, prepare you for the great day of judgment is upon us. And those judgments are going to be furious. All of you are not going to survive. It's creepy as fuck. Wallace says they grew up believing that any year now, the world would end, the earth would be on fire, everybody would die by fire, and the only way to be safe from that is a piece of the earth being lifted up while the earth gets burned. So if they are faithful enough, they would be worthy to be on that piece of land to get lifted up off of the earth so they would not die with the wicked. I can't imagine how much fear and anxiety the kids growing up indoctrinated in this had. They believed this was real and it was happening any minute now. That fear is a great manipulation tactic to capitalize on for the prophet because he is the representation of God on earth. And faith is the only way to save yourself. So if you are indoctrinated in this, you would rather have faith than die a painful death or be wicked. This is completely insane and sad and cruel to do, especially to the children who can't choose their parents and what they are born into Elisa says they were told that anyone who didn't practice the flds belief system would be wiped off of the face of the earth so that it would be clean and pure for the righteous wallace says during the salt lake city olympics that's when things really got screwed up Myrna says warren said if the olympics came to salt lake city it will be the end of the world and he said they had to get everyone out of salt lake Warren said Salt Lake would be destroyed during the Olympics if they didn't go down to Short Creek. They would not get lifted up. The FLDS were primarily located in two places, Salt Lake City, Utah, and Short Creek on the Utah-Arizona border. Short Creek dates back to the 1930s when Mormon fundamentalists no longer had a place in the mainstream LDS church. One of the groups started to homestead in Short Creek. They picked Short Creek because it is far from civilization and it's hard to reach. And that remoteness was important to them. In 2002, Warren ordered the FLDS people to gather to Short Creek. The people sold their homes and sold their businesses because the end of the world was coming. Myrna says Warren directed them, sell everything they can, sell their houses and move down. Myrna says they had two houses, they sold them both. Erna and Jeff Black were residents of Short Creek. The community went from 1,000 or 2,000 people to about 10,000 people. It was the biggest migration of people in their history. Wallace believed Warren thought he needed to gather all of the people in one place in order to control them. It's kind of like when you are with an abusive partner and they are controlling. What do they do? They tell you how to dress. They isolate you from your friends. They want you all to themselves to make it easier for them to control you. They make you think you're inept. They make you think you're weak or incapable. Everyone gathered in Short Creek, waiting for the destruction to come and to be lifted up. Wallace says they were all scared to death in total fear that this was the beginning of the end. Alyssa says they all waited and waited and the end never came. Warren couldn't explain why it didn't happen. He panicked. He knew people would wise up. Alicia says it was very confusing. There was no logical rhyme or reason. Warren Jeffs explained it away saying it was just a test and God had granted them more time. He said it was a gift to them and that God wants them to be more righteous. So God is gifting them more time. So it meant... Everyone had to be more perfect and more obedient, and it wasn't enough. They were never good enough. One afternoon, Warren called over the intercom to come sing to Rulon because he wasn't feeling well. All of his wives gathered in the prophet's room on September seventh, two 2002. Rulon was on his bed, and Rebecca and all of her sister wives were there. And Rulon looked gray and translucent, and the next day he passed away. It was confusing for everyone because Rulon was not supposed to die. Everyone was told that Rulon was supposed to be the last prophet that would bring them into the millennium. They were taught if they had the faith, just like Jesus walked out of the tomb, that Rulon would come in the door, a young man, and give them all children. Rulon's passing wasn't conceivable. It wasn't even an option on the table at all. Before the funeral, Warren told all of Rulon's wives they all had to be in white dresses. So all the women that were good seamstresses in the community came forward and made brand new dresses in two days. They took photos with Rulon in his casket, all 65 wives, young and old, in white dresses around him. Wallace says the funeral was somber. There was more confusion than sorrow because everyone knew a lot was going to happen. Their lost prophet has died. "'People wondered if the earth would fall apart,' Wallace says. "'There was a lot of apprehension and a lot of confusion. "'Elisa believed any minute Rulon would sit up and be removed, "'and they closed the casket, and Elisa felt fear. "'She wondered if they put Rulon in the ground, "'how he would be able to get out. "'Irma believed Rulon would be lifted up. "'She wondered, so what is this "'you've been telling us all of these years?' And then she voiced it slightly to Jeff, her husband, and Jeff didn't understand it either. So they put it on the shelf since that was what they were always told. They were told, if you don't understand it, just put it on the shelf. Wallace says his dad's funeral was controlled 100% by Warren. Warren stood next to Rulon's coffin during the viewing and no other sons were allowed to stand next to him. Warren was the only son up there, and that really started showing Warren's true colors. In the weeks after the funeral, Warren was speaking as though he was his father renewed and as though Rulon had assumed his body and was still leading the people through him, through Warren himself. Then it became, I am my father. One day, Warren was sitting in the office, and he said really quietly to Alicia, Who do you think the next prophet is? Alicia says she was a people pleaser and she wanted to please him, and so she answered that she thought he was, and Warren beamed at her. Wallace says a lot of people didn't see that, so Warren still had to convince people, but he couldn't come right out and say he was the next prophet. He had to concoct a story to justify it. At the meetings where everybody would gather, Warren would call on certain wives of Rulon to tell what they dreamed of, and who they felt was the next prophet. It's interesting about the dreams because in the Angel Park study, we learned that in the FLDS community of Angel Park and within that faith, dreams and visions are spiritual messages direct from God. Warren had people step to the pulpit and validate his claims that he was the new prophet and that people were to get behind him. One of Roland's wives, Naomi, was called on and she said, If they believe in Rulon, then they believe Warren is the prophet of God, and she needs him to guide her. Elisa says, looking back, she sees Warren was very smart. It was done very strategically and methodically. She says, once Warren became the prophet, they were all just instruments in the machine that was at his disposal, the religion. Warren was the man that could take the people into heaven, and so the stakes for the people are eternal. So to make a mistake and to lose the favor of the prophet is unthinkable to the people. Warren Jeffs took over this religion with thousands of loyal followers and he manipulated their beliefs and turned it into money and power and sex. And his followers followed him right off the cliff, according to Utah attorney Roger Hull. This was interesting but hard to watch. I just can't imagine the amount of damage and suffering it does on so many levels, and I commend these women and men who are able to come out and tell their stories after surviving. The resiliency of the human spirit and the strength in these people is something I truly, deeply admire. That does it for this episode. Next week, look out for the second part of Chapter 5 on Mary for Book Club, giving my commentary on the Browns' memoir becoming sister wives the newest episode of seeking sister wife and my next episode in the sister wives rewatch season 2 episode 9 no place for home I'll try to fit in the next episode of keep sweet pray and obey as well but most likely I'll get to it the week after that might change of course depending on my schedule you never know to my youtube viewers please like and subscribe I would really appreciate that and let me know your thoughts in the comments section Thanks for tuning in. See you next week, maybe sooner, depending. Bye.